This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmond.edu. Australia's wildfires have consumed millions of acres of brushland, rainforest, and national parks. More than 30 people have died, and according to some estimates, 1 billion animals have been killed. The area that has been burned is roughly the size of England. As CT reported earlier this month, the fires have forced some Christian missions teams to evacuate. Hillsong announced several weeks ago that it has raised more than 1 million Australian dollars to support those affected by the fire. And the board of directors of Arosha Australia, part of an international Christian conservation group, said it was building partnerships with Christian and non-Christian conservationists to aid with the recovery. I'm just going to read from part of their statement. They said, We are looking for our opportunities to engage Australian churches to see this disaster through a scriptural lens and repentance and obedience rather than simply a, as a political issue. This is a challenge for Christians in churches in a nation where climate and environmental politics are so polarized, often being based upon political ideology rather than science, the scriptures, and the new climate reality. And we felt that these circumstances presented a good opportunity for us to learn more about the state of Australian Christianity. You're listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, digital media producer here at Christianity Today. And I'm Tim Dalrymple, president and CEO of Christianity Today. Tim, I thought we should do a gut check for this week, specifically about the fires and everything that we've seen regarding the scope of this natural disaster in Australia. I've really been looking forward to talking about this because I, I feel, number one, that I don't have a very deep understanding of the history and the nature today of Christianity within Australia. So here's an, an important opportunity to learn more about that. Of course, the videos and the reporting that you see about the fires, uh, the, the bushfires across Australia are just horrific. I think like a lot of Americans, I kind of, you know, that's, that's on the other side of the planet. And I just don't feel like I have a good grasp of it. So looking forward to this conversation. One of the Americans who probably watched this video that went viral a couple weeks ago of the a koala. koala. Yeah. And the koala in the video, for people who haven't seen this, is just heaving down water out of this bike rider's water bottle. And the koala looks absolutely parched. And I hate to be admit to being, you know, more emotionally <laughs> tuned into the situation with the fires after watching that video. But I think it definitely gave me a visceral sense of what was happening. It's one animal out of a billion, and yet it really makes it very personal, makes it feel very close. Yeah. I did have a chance to do some reporting a couple weeks ago about how the church in Australia was getting involved in reacting to these things. And I did want to do a podcast on top of that just because I felt like there was so much more for me to understand when it came to seeing exactly how Christianity is expressed in this part of the world. So who is our guest today to speak with us about this? Brooke Prentice is the incoming CEO of Common Grace. I love the way that Common Grace describes itself on its homepage of its website, which is commongrace.org.au. 
and it describes itself as a movement of Australian Christians seeking to live, speak, and act more graciously, more compassionately, more like Jesus in today's world. Brooke, welcome. I'd love to hear a little bit more about Common Grace and about your journey there. I understand you've been there for some time, but you're coming into this role as CEO. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So I'm actually an Aboriginal Christian leader as well and a descendant of the Waka Waka peoples. And Waka Waka Nation is one of the over 300 nations of Aboriginal peoples in these lands that we now call Australia. And so it's a very exciting time for Common Grace and for the Australian Church because we believe it's actually the very first time with me stepping into the CEO role that an Aboriginal person, an Indigenous person from Australia is going to be the CEO or national leader of a national Christian organization or movement that isn't specifically Indigenous. So it's a very historical appointment as well as an exciting appointment. I'm actually a chartered accountant by profession and one of only 22 Indigenous chartered accountants in all of Australia, which is quite a fascinating concept as to where we are. We're about 3% of the Australian population as Aboriginal peoples, which is a population of about 650,000 peoples. Our population levels still have not at the same level as they were pre-colonisation if we look at 1788 as a point of colonisation of Australia. There's a lot of injustice that we as Aboriginal peoples still face, a lot of inequality, and so we're trying to overturn those. And that's why Common Grace, one of our justice areas is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander justice. But I'm also a theologian. We actually, in Australia, there's only about five Aboriginal Christians who have a master's or PhD in theology. And so I often say we've been kept out of the capitalist regime and we've been kept out of the theological regime. And I guess I embody uh, (laughs) both of those and try to uh, bring some healing and hope to these lands now called Australia and to all peoples. It's also interesting to think about Australia in the global context, both from an economic point of view, but also a theological point of view. Yeah, I'm sure we might get to cover a few of those things. Well, I'm really, really excited that you are getting the chance to speak with us today, Brooke, about and to tell us more about your story and just the, the very complicated history of this particular part of the world. I wanted to, before we get into some of the the more historical elements to talk a little bit more about the fires. So from from what I have read, and I'm going to be honest, I'm sure there are some very ignorant American assumptions that will <laughs> creep their way into my questions over the course of our conversation. So please feel free to call them out. But from the preliminary readings that I've done, it seems like we're in the middle of something that is being called fire season. So what does that mean? And what is really normal in Australia when it comes to fires? This concept of fire season is a very interesting one. I've tweeted a couple of things about it, actually, because I heard the Prime Minister of Australia call it fire season. This was new to me. As Indigenous peoples of these lands now called Australia, science tells us being in these lands now called Australia for over 65,000 years. For some Christians, a theological concept is uh, 6,000 years, and we're happy to hold the difference between those. But from my generations, we're talking about 2,000 generations of my family, my story, my culture in these lands now called Australia and many other Aboriginal peoples. We have our Indigenous weather systems and knowledge. And it's something Australia hasn't really paid attention to. The Indigenous voice in Australia is still one that we are trying to have heard. 
it's been interesting with the bushfires that this has been an opportunity where people have talked about we need to learn from Indigenous people and how we manage the land, but that hasn't really been taken up by our political leaders. And so when the Prime Minister used fire season, I went, hang on, this isn't fire season. This is either our summer, if you want to talk about European seasons, this is summer. But if you actually look at Indigenous weather systems, Australia is a very large country. And I think some of the media I've seen out of the United States of America has been, wow, look at how big the landmass of Australia actually is, because <laughs> uh, it's quite equivalent <laughs> to all of North America. When we, you think about summer here in Australia for much of our top end, which is the Northern Territory and Queensland in terms of our states and territories, so the northern part of Australia and Western Australia, it's actually cyclone season. It's the wet season in the north of Australia. And so when we have our monsoons and rains, to talk about it as fire season is a very narrow concept. And most Indigenous weather systems, there's actually six to eight seasons is how we view the calendar year without a calendar in our days, pre-colonisation. We have to be very careful about how we talk about it and that's why these bushfires are so devastating because these are fires on a scale we have never, ever seen. When Indigenous people say these are fires that we have never, ever seen, we're talking about 65,000 years. This is a moment not just for Australia but for the world to really wake up and pay attention. You know, when we look at the climate scientists, so we've got Indigenous knowledge, then you've got climate scientists who have been saying for decades that Australia will feel the first effects of global climate change. And it's here. We are facing it. It's devastating. And we haven't really had a great national response. It's been very state-based, So, but it's basically much of Australia, uh, all every state and territory, there are fires. We haven't really had the national response from our political leaders that we require. My deep prayer and hope is that this is a tragic situation for us, but maybe it's through tragedy that finally Aboriginal peoples are included, Indigenous peoples of Australia are included as part of the fabric of our political, social, moral, religious systems in Australia and that we can work together to work out how we look at this situation in our present and into our future and how the past has affected that present and will affect our future if we don't come together. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've seen churches respond to the fires as well? Pretty much every church is responding to the fires in some way. Obviously, one of the key roles, we are still in an emergency situation. And so there's evacuation centres. So many people have been evacuated and much of the Australian church and Christian organisations are helping to run those evacuation centres and providing the emergency relief and support, as well as taking up fundraising for those affected by fires and to provide that emergency relief. All right. Well, I think you've touched on some of the history, but let's provide a little bit more details for some of us who really are not that familiar at all with... Can I jump in with two quick quick questions? Of course, go. Okay. okay. So for any of our listeners who may not have checked in to the news about the fires in the last two weeks, or maybe the last time they checked was a week ago, can you give us just what's an update on, Is it are they still just as bad as they were before? Are they on a path toward improvement? What would be the latest from your perspective? It's still 
a bit of a mixture. Some of the biggest fires, we're getting reports through now that they have been contained and controlled. And so we, where we haven't gone to is assessing the level of damage and destruction and devastation. And so this is where you know, the reporting has been around people's lives that have been lost, people's houses that have been lost, people's businesses that have been lost. And there has been some reporting of the scale of fauna, animals, but also the flora and the trees and the plants that we have lost, I think is still something to be assessed and will be interesting whether the Australian mainstream media actually start reporting on that. My fear, and I feel it deeply as an Indigenous person, is that we have lost entire species of plants and animals. And many people, and especially from the United States of America, have come to Australia to visit our beautiful flora and fauna because they're unique species where you can find them nowhere else in the world. One of the particular places that's been devastated is a place called Kangaroo Island off the coast of South Australia. It's an incredible place. Most of that island has been burnt by the fires and the intensity of the fires is something that we've never seen. And so, yes, there's re- we're already seeing some beauty through the, the growth, the regrowth that's happening and little shoots coming out of the trees, which is, you know, beautiful, but it'll be interesting to see what we've lost and whether it can be recovered. I think we're talking about years and decades of analysis and rebuilding. And then I guess the situation is, well, you know, we talked about fire season. My fear is that fire season, it isn't actually a season, it's the whole year through. You know, we've actually seen that, like our summer is technically December, January and February. These fires started back in September, not to the same intensity as they've been over October, November, December and January, but that's not our summer. Yeah, it's still hard to talk about in a way. There's still a lot of emotions as we think about what we've lost, how we rebuild and what the future looks like. Brooke, you mentioned earlier a belief by climate scientists that Australia could be among the first to bear the brunt of global climate change. And as you might know, among the evangelical Christian community here in the United States, there there are those who are skeptics, either to the fact of climate change or to the notion that human beings have contributed meaningfully to climate change, what's called anthropogenic climate change, right? And then, of course, there are, there are evangelical Christians who, do, who are not skeptical of those things. But, but it makes me curious when it comes to the church in Australia, whether you, is there a widespread agreement on the facts of climate change and, and the human contribution toward climate change and the need to take dramatic action? Or is there a, a similar sort of split to what you see in the American Christian community? There's absolutely the similar split and that's within the church and within society and that's why for Common Grace it's uh, climate and creation care, one of our four justice issues that we tackle. But this is another area where we need to look to Indigenous knowledge that we know over thousands of years of practice, what is happening in the lands and the waters, you know. So it's great the climate scientists have what they say, but Indigenous people are saying the same thing. When will the world listen to us? As Indigenous peoples, we are part of God's story. Uh, God placed us in each of our lands. And here, if I speak as an Indigenous person from these lands now called Australia, our role as appointed by the Creator is as custodian, steward, caretaker. And the laws that the Creator gave us, the same Creator God that Christians have, who the Creator is, how to care for creation, and how to live in right relationship. And for me, these are three biblical principles as well. 
when we look at this particular bushfire season, but Australia has been in incredible drought. And one of the passages that I'm often teaching Christians about is from Job 12, 7 to 10. But ask the animals and they will teach you, or the birds in the sky and they will tell you, or speak to the earth and it will teach you, or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? When we had the drought, the emus, uh, our big flightless native bird, walked into some of the urban centres the first time it has ever been seen in history before the mainstream media started talking about the drought. But we as Aboriginal people saw this, non-Indigenous people saw this. The emus were trying to tell us. They're like, there's no water. And for Indigenous people, we don't really have a separation between the human and the non-human. It's all of creation. And as Christians, I believe that's what we should also be thinking about. God created all of this. And you just have to walk these lands now called Australia, even as a tourist, to see the unique, ancient and beauty of creation, um, of our animals and our plants and our natural environment, our mountains, our beaches, our rivers. Uh, We've got rivers that are dried up. It's the first time they've ever been dry, completely bone dry. Aboriginal people have never seen this. Our people in the centre of Australia, many listeners might have been to Uluru, the big red rock in the very centre of Australia. It's literally geographically in the dead centre, the heart of Australia. The Arnhemu peoples, who are the Aboriginal peoples in that area, they can no longer do their ceremonies, which they've done for thousands of years, because it's too hot. And so this is now affecting culture and practice and life. I don't fully always understand why there's this political divide. We need to actually look at what is happening. And for Christians, Jesus calls us to love our neighbours as ourselves. And so when Aboriginal peoples are telling these things and saying these things, will people listen to us? Many of us, a majority of Aboriginal peoples, of Indigenous peoples in Australia, are actually Christian, which I think is actually a different uh, situation to the United States of America. And so that's a miracle in itself, considering the mission history of Australia, that a majority of us are still Christian. That's all part of our lives and what we're trying to be as a part of the Australian church. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how Christianity first came to Australia and the positive and also the the darker ways that that happened. We're about to head towards January 26, which is a date that divides the nation of Australia. For us as Aboriginal peoples, January 26, we refer to as a day of mourning, invasion day, survival day or sovereignty day. We're the only Indigenous peoples without a treaty with First Peoples out of all the Commonwealth nations, but one of the last liberal democracies to give a treaty or treaties to Indigenous peoples. But this 26th of January, why I'm talking about that is it represents the 26th of January, 1788, which is when Arthur Phillip, uh, Governor Arthur Phillip, came on the first fleet and is really the key moment of colonisation in these lands now called Australia. So for us, it marks a date of dispossession, destruction, and in many cases, death. The genocide and massacres that were happened towards Aboriginal peoples, immense devastation and loss of life. Uh, it was a genocide. And uh, many of the world don't even understand that. And many Australian Christians often say, well, Jesus came on the first fleet. And I have to correct them and I say, the Bible came on the first fleet. It depends how we look at Christianity. So for us, I've already talked about how Indigenous people have the creator, the same creator as the Bible. And so we often look at Genesis 1 and say that it's the greatest Aboriginal dreaming story 
ever told. We need to remember that often when we read the Bible, you're reading through a cultural lens. The Bible is often taught through a Western cultural lens. And so that means that you're understanding interpreting through such a lens. And so we need to remove that lens and, and look with fresh eyes, understand that we're reading with culture, which has often been Western culture. But interestingly, whilst it was 1788, there was a chaplain on the first fleet. Also, Lieutenant James Cook came in 1770, but he didn't stay. And then Philip came and then the settlers' invaders stayed. But the chaplain was on the first fleet. But interestingly, the very the actual missionaries that came from the London Missionary Society would not come for another 30 to 50 years after that. And so it's a bit of a different history to the US. Uh, I've learned a little bit about the Californian Indigenous people from the amazing Jonathan Cordero. The, when the Spanish came 500 years ago, they came as missionaries. But when Australia came and the colonizers came, they didn't come as missionaries. They came as colonizers to take the land. And those missionaries that came out from London were actually to deal with the convicts. It was nothing to do with the Aboriginal peoples because it was a campaign of extermination of us. And you read any of the legislation, history and the journals of those first invaders and settlers, they're talking about getting rid of Aboriginal peoples and we won't have to deal with the Aboriginal problem in the future. And that's what I say, that it's a miracle that we survived. And that's God's miracle. Also, how that plays out in the global context, that Australia is kind of one of the last nations to be colonised as that form of global colonisation. And so it's kind of like the last social experiment of that global colonial project that's important for the rest of the world to understand what's happened there. Yeah, the mission history for Aboriginal peoples, there were good missionaries, but we can't just talk about those stories because they're actually few and far between. And what we suffered under many Christian missions, their involvement in the stolen generations. So Aboriginal children removed from their families right up until the 1960s. These are often at like mission schools, something similar to what you'd find in Canada or in parts of the US. Is it similar to that? Similar but different. This was actually, you were, take, you were removed from your family, placed on a mission. You were told your family had died, but it wasn't about going to any sort of school. At the age of 10, you were sent out as domestic servants, particularly if you were girls, and boys were sent out as farmhands. They worked their entire lives. And then we have a concept of what's called the stolen wages. And so Aboriginal peoples were told their money was being kept in a trust by the government. The government used that money and the missionaries used that money to not go to the Aboriginal people. Aboriginal people were paid in tea, sugar, flour and blankets. And when you have an understanding, we have a thing called closing the gap. We have Aboriginal people in today, Indigenous people of Australia today, die 11 to 17 years younger than the non-Indigenous population of Australia, which is actually the world's worst life expectancy of any Indigenous peoples in the world and is equivalent to some of the what we would call the third world countries, uh, is the states for Aboriginal peoples. And when you're paid in tea, sugar, flour, up until the 1960s, you can imagine the health outcomes and the lack of foundation that you have. So we have much generational poverty. And so we've got the stolen generations. Then the stolen generations, those children are having their wages stolen as well as the adults having wages stolen. And so this is what's contributed to present day Australia. And we often talk about the Australian churches, that they're on stolen land. So you've got stolen land, stolen wages, stolen generations. And today I call our present day injustices stolen lives. 
This episode is brought to you in part by Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Over 13,000 people in the Seattle area are homeless. Kathy is one of many who found a new life through Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. Growing up, my dad and I didn't get along. I kept running away from home until one time I was assaulted. After that, I carried a lot of pain inside of me, and I was doing a lot of drugs. I became homeless. It's taken me almost 40 years to get the healing I needed. But all along, God was looking out for me. He led me to the mission, and the mission has helped me in all kinds of ways. I've learned how to set boundaries and say no. Now I'm looking forward to working for the mission. I want people to know there's hope out there. God can help you heal. And grace will lead me home. To hear more, volunteer, or donate, visit UGM.org. How would you say that Aboriginal culture began to shape and impact and make very distinct Australian Christianity? I think we are such a important part of that history, but I think the Australian church is still only just coming to terms about how our story is part of the Christian story in Australia. Still so many Christians have no idea that a majority of Aboriginal peoples are Christians because we're not necessarily sitting in the churches on a Sunday. And that's because of the racism that exists. It's because of the not being welcome in the churches and these sorts of things. And so that's part of the work that I do trying to educate the Australian church. And I stand in the footsteps of many incredible Aboriginal Christian leaders that have gone before me, like Auntie Jean Phillips, who's now in her 80s, done 60 years of her life in ministry and still doing ministry, full-time ministry. She puts many of us younger ones to shame. But Uncle Pastor Ray Minicon, an incredible theologian, and he's part of our Nates community. So I mentioned how few Aboriginal people have done masters or PhD in theology. But last year, we, after a 15-year journey for any theological college in Australia to agree to partner with Aboriginal Christian leaders in theology, we finally had a partnership, and that's through NAITS, N-A-I-I-T-S. NAITS is also in North America. That's where it started with Richard Twist, who has now passed away, and Uncle Terry LeBlanc, and many others. My message as I talk about this in the Australian church is also for the US church to listen to your Indigenous theologians. You have many great Indigenous theologians, but my fear is the US church actually doesn't know who they are, and so get to know them. Terry LeBlanc, Cheryl Bear, Randy Woodley, so many incredible people over there as well. And follow Nates, N-A-I-I-T-S, an Indigenous learning community. It's an incredible organization, not just for Indigenous peoples, but this is for all of theology. And so we've still got a long way to go in Australia in including Aboriginal peoples. At this point, as we head towards the 26th of January, and I called it a day of mourning, that name comes from 1938, where Aboriginal leaders gathered together to protest for equal citizenship. And it would take another 30 years for that to happen. So it wasn't until 1967 that we were finally counted in the population statistics of the census. So sheep and cattle were counted before us. Many of those leaders that met in 1938 had passed. They never got to see that call for citizenship in their lifetimes. One of those leaders was William Cooper. He was born in 1861 and died in 1941. A Yorta Yorta man, which is one of the Aboriginal nations, and the 300 nations of peoples, um, in the place now called Victoria in that state. He's an Australian hero, but he's an Aboriginal Christian leader. The Australian church doesn't know him. And so Common Grace, we're retelling his story because he's a huge inspiration to me. So not only did he 
1940, he called on the Protestant churches in Australia to set aside the Sunday before January 26 to reflect on Aboriginal justice and to pray for Aboriginal peoples. And that's what we've reinstated over the last four years to honour his call, but also Auntie Jean Phillips, who's two generations later, and then myself another generation later, who was still calling on the Australian church to be part of loving us as their neighbour and not even their neighbour, as their brother and sister and as their Christian brother and sister. We've got still a long way to go in that love, but the movement is growing. People are coming on the journey with us. And my prayer is that happens in the US church too, that the US Christians come on the journey with their Indigenous Christian leaders and get to know them and their incredible faith journeys. First of all, this is amazing and sobering. So thank you for sharing these things. I, I I had no idea, for instance, that the majority of Aboriginal peoples in Australia are Christian. But I, I, I want to ask what may be a bit of a personal question, but just clearly your identity as an Aboriginal leader, as, as one of the Indigenous peoples, is essential and deep to who you are. And, we, and, and those of us who've become Christian are being formed into the likeness of Christ. That too is really deep and, and essential to our identity. So how do you, as a, as a Christian, wrestle with the fact that, that the Bible came, as you said, on these same ships and that it was eventually missionaries coming along alongside the oppressor? And so this, this message, the example of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Christ, this message of the gospel came across in, in the midst of so much violence and oppression. And how, how do you wrestle with that yourself? Yes, it's a question I get asked often. It is a wrestle each and every day, but when you think about the oppression and the violence and what has happened to my peoples in the name of Jesus Christ, but I think we are called to be truth tellers. Australia has not faced up to its true history. My deep prayer is that can happen in the Australian church, which should be a place of love as we follow Jesus as who calls us to love our neighbours as ourselves. I would love to see that. But it's actually these incredible Aboriginal leaders who fought for justice. But it was Jesus who drove them to fight for justice as well, as well as their conditions. And to hang on, we cling so tightly to Jesus because he's often the only thing that we have left. He is complete love. And so our Aboriginal Christian leaders that have gone before us who grew up on the missions, who were sent out as domestic servants at the age of 10 years old, girls sent into full white male households. And so there's a whole nother level to talk about and to understand in that history. But the fact that those Aboriginal leaders, many of them who are now in their 70s and 80s, if they're lucky enough to live that long, and they still so faithfully follow Jesus, it's a huge inspiration to us as the next generation of Aboriginal Christian leaders. And I think that's an example for all Christians here in Australia, but in the world as well. Why do we follow Jesus when we suffer so much? And that's the great mystery and the great beauty and the great love of Jesus. That's why it hurts so much more when the Australian church can tear us down and show racism. And racism is a sin. The Australian church still hasn't come out out very strongly on that fact that racism is a sin. Racism hurts. It always has and it always will. And I think when we look to the United States of America, really understanding your true history is something that I'd love to see the US church really understand. 
the African-American story is the one that most people know around the world. But underneath that African-American story is your Indigenous story. And many African-Americans don't even understand the Indigenous story and African-American Christians. And so there's layer upon layer upon layer. But God, Jesus, Spirit have seen all. They've heard all. And so we as humans, as part of God's story and mystery of God have a role to play in not just our own lives. And as Indigenous people, it's not just about the present generation. We're thinking about the past generation and the future generation. That's how our whole societies are structured. And so when we think even going back to the bushfires and what's happening in our environments, we have to care for that. And many of these things that I'm passionate about, yes, my Aboriginality, my Indigenous, being Indigenous drives the understanding, the deep feeling but also my Christian faith. My Christian faith calls me to care for God's creation. I will always be perplexed why not all Christians see that, because, and the Bible that I read is a Jesus who calls us to justice. The good news, it's good news for all, but often as Christians, we tear each other apart. My prayer and hope is that, and I guess that's why common grace exists, to bring about that common grace that we can extend to each other, which comes from Jesus. Brooke, did you become a Christian later in life or were you born into a Christian family? I became a Christian at the age of 21 and that was in the Salvation Army. I think part of that story is I didn't understand what the Christian faith was all about because why weren't they fighting for justice? Any Aboriginal person, I think you because you experience injustice at such a young age, which is usually your first experience of racism, you are driven to fight injustice. And so I'm like, well, what, do, what are Christians all about? And for me, it was like these big fancy churches that looked like palaces that were filled with gold and stained glass windows. And But what about poverty and justice? And then hearing the story of William Booth and Catherine Booth, the founders of the Salvation Army, I went, oh, hang on, Christians? do care about justice. And so that's driven my passion. I now work very ecumenically across all the major denominations. And another great Indigenous leader that you have in Canada, actually, is Sherry Russell, who is a Salvation Army officer, which is amazing as well. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. I know that one of the things that Common Grace does is, like you said, very ecumenical, works with lots of different types of churches of all different sorts. Do you have a sense of kind of the breakdown between Catholics, evangelical and mainline Protestants when it comes to looking at the Christian population of Australia? A little bit. When we look at common grace, we are across the breadth and depth of the church. When we talk about the Australian church, we're talking about all the major denominations in Australia. So it isn't quite as the way it's structured in the US. So the Common Grace Movement as an ecumenical movement has Anglican, the Uniting Church of Australia, Presbyterian, Baptist, the Catholic Church, the Salvation Army, the Pentecostal churches and so forth, And which is great because as Indigenous people, we've worked ecumenically to survive. And so we hold those theological differences and come together in community. And so that's what we're calling people people into is to that community and to celebrate the gifts and diversity of all the different denominations. What's the traditional relationship that Australian Christians have with politics? It's diverse and split. Those that are on the justice 
journey and understand the injustices that face Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, that face asylum seeker and refugees, climate and creation injustice. And, you know, our fourth issue for common grace is domestic and family violence, which is a massive issue in Australia. The reason that we chose those issues was because the Australian church wasn't actually engaged in them. And so anyone that understands Jesus' call for justice is very involved in politics. As I say, it's a sad fact, I think, that the Australian church continues to talk about the left and right divide. What I'm trying to call people to is there in Jesus, there is no left and right. And so I don't understand why we have this split because Jesus just calls us to particular things in the Bible. For me, that's a call to justice, including economic justice. My prayer is that the Australian church and I think they're worse. it's worse in the Australian church than it is in Australian society, talking about this left and right divide and then how that drives you to political engagement, that we need to come together and love all peoples and so call our political leaders to also love all peoples. You talked about how the majority of Aboriginal peoples in Australia are Christian. How does that break out across denominational differences? Are, are they mostly Anglican, or are there certain denominational affiliations that are most common amongst Aboriginal peoples in the the lands that we now call Australia? No, we're spread across every major denomination and small expressions of church. So I guess that's a a great way to, to look at it, that And as Aboriginal peoples come together and Aboriginal Christians, as we come together in community, we celebrate our different faith journeys and denominations that we belong to. And so I think we're a great example for the Australian church in how to come together. You know, it's the cross that jumps congregation and denominational lines and race and class. And that's the power of Jesus and the cross. So for many of our listeners, one of the most significant expressions of Australian Christianity present in their own lives has probably been through Hillsong. And I'm wondering, Brooke, if you could just share maybe some of your experiences of Hillsong as someone who has done ministry in Australia. Hillsong has obviously impacted the Australian and global environment. I have many friends in Hillsong, including the leaders. They grow, they continue to grow. That's a beautiful expression of Jesus growing across these lands now called Australia and the world. And so that's something to be celebrated. There's Aboriginal people that belong to Hillsong as well, but There are also many other churches who are doing incredible things and have a long heritage and association in Australia and including relationship with Aboriginal peoples. So Hillsong are big and play a role, but, you know, the Anglican Church, the Uniting Church of Australia, the Salvation Army, the Catholic Church, Presbyterians, Baptists, and you start naming them and you forget others, (laughs) are all making an impact, doing incredible things. And I guess my call is just back to coming back to that ecumenical movement that we come together across those different denominations to find community and to be the body of Christ in these lands now called Australia and the world. What would you say that the fires in particular have revealed about the state of Christianity in your country? I think I'm probably a little bit surprised it hasn't had more of an impact. So usually during a natural disaster, people are searching for God and often the churches are filled. I don't think we've seen those stories coming out. Many churches are holding church services and people are seeking comfort in all sorts of ways. I think even besides the bushfires with our current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who's a Pentecostal Christian, the mainstream media are now talking about Christians, which we've never really seen. 
it's quite interesting to have that in the mainstream media and that's happened over the last couple of years. The important thing is to remember that this isn't the first time we've had a Christian Prime Minister. It's the first time we've had a Pentecostal Christian Prime Minister, but our former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd was a Christian. Former Prime Minister Tony Abbott was a Christian as a Catholic. Yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon that's happening in Australia and we'll see what happens. But some of the other you know, people have found much comfort in prayer. I think that's probably been the biggest impact out of the bushfires. And there's been actually lots of stories, maybe not so much the Australian church as impacting the bushfires, but maybe searching for God and the mystery of God. Like there's been so many reports, incredible stories, people who've never prayed before and they're in the news going, I've never believed in God and I was praying. Incredible stories as well. There's a Christian bush retreat centre in the Blue Mountains run by Donna Mulhern they had two prayer labyrinths and the prayer labyrinths actually created a fire break and saved part of the property. Uh, And there's also some Aboriginal rock art on that property and the fire stopped like a metre from the rock art. But we also need to remember in many places, you know, 65,000, over 65,000 years of history has been incinerated. There's many sacred sites for Aboriginal people that are now gone and destroyed. Yeah, there's lots of stories. And I hope that those people that have searched for God, I will pray that they continue to search for God and Jesus in their lives. I've heard you mention a lot through this podcast, the importance of listening to Australian Aboriginal Christians and the church. What are one or two things that you would really want our listeners and the global church in general to learn? For me, it's coming back to our concepts of common grace that we have as our organization's foundation and footprint. We are bringing people together across the depth and breadth of the church. My prayer for all Christians around the world is that it's our common grace movement, that we unite for the common good, that we find common ground and that we share in common grace. And we can do that if we are centered on Jesus in our heart, mind and spirit, and that we love our neighbors, all our neighbors as ourselves, as Jesus calls us to. I was wondering if you could maybe tell our listeners how they can pray right now for the Australian church, and then maybe you could close this session or this conversation with a word of prayer. If the listeners could pray for the Australian church that we do embrace the concept of love for all peoples, and it's not based on rules and regulations, but the beauty of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Pray for Australia with these bushfires, but for all the natural disasters that will continue to come. We are in a climate emergency. Pray that the Australian church looks to Jesus as to how we start to pray. Prayer is huge and so many Christians aren't praying and we need to pray more. We call people to prayer. Start praying. Praying about bushfires, being specific in your prayers. One of the things that I put on Facebook, I saw all these people say they were praying for rain. And I said, please be specific with your prayers because we're in cyclone season. And so if you're not specific to send the rain to particular places, we could have floods. And that's the power of prayer to actually believe in the power of prayer. How coming together in community to pray is so powerful as well and brings us together. Believe in the power of prayer because we believe in God and we stand firm in his promises. Hopefully that means something to some people. Did you have a prayer that you want to end with as well? 
Yes, I'd love to end with a prayer that uh, Dr. Byron Smith, who's part of Common Grace, wrote for the bushfires. And I think it speaks to all peoples. And I would just like to acknowledge those around the world who have been praying for Australia. Thank you. It is still emotional times for us. Pray for political action and pray for our hearts and minds as we recover from this significant trauma and if we can recover. And so let me share this prayer written by Dr. Byron Smith. I gave some advice to Dr. Byron Smith to write this because I'd seen a few prayers, but they didn't fully include us as Aboriginal peoples. This one really does honour us with not being token, but I think it's a prayer not just for us here in Australia, but for the world as you grieve with us, as you watch the koalas and the kangaroos and precious creation cry out. Creator of life, this beautiful land cries out for the disfigured splendour of charred forest, blackened soil, ashen skies, we grieve. For the hundreds of millions of creatures that perished in smoke and flame, for the millions more who emerged from the inferno to starvation, uh, for the twisted, frayed and torn strands of ecosystems that may never recover, we mourn. For smoke-filled lungs, dread-filled hours, anxiety-filled evacuations, for ruined livelihoods, incinerated sacred sites, smouldering homes, for bereaved families, inflicted trauma, gutted dreams, we weep. Lord, have mercy. Jesus, our brother, all generosity echoes your own. For the dangerous labour of firefighters, for the kindness of strangers, for neighbourly bonds reforged in calamity, we offer thanks. For sandwiches made, shelter provided, funds donated, we are grateful. For accurate reporting, insightful forecasts, skillful logistics, we acknowledge our debt. Christ, have mercy. Spirit of truth, your justice flows like water onto parched soil. For too long, our notions of prosperity have been dominated by theft, destruction, and fire. Stolen land, poisoned rivers, dirty fuels. May we rediscover true wealth in mutual trust and care, in treasured stories and places, in clean water and air. May justice fall like rain, pouring like grace on the tongues of the poor, settling like ash in the mouths of those who profit from lies. Let ancient wisdom be respected, careful science heeded, the worship of money rejected. May we truthfully embrace our full history honestly acknowledge our present crises, humbly nurture a shared future. Lord, have mercy. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for this really beautiful conversation, Brooke. We really appreciate it. For for our listeners that have feedback, please send us an email. We're at podcast at christianitytoday.com. You can also go on to Twitter at CT Podcasts. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, and we allow everyone to share something that has brought them joy in the past week. Tim, are you ready to go? As People who follow along with Christianity Today will know we just began with a new editor-in-chief. In fact, an episode or two ago, we, we interviewed that editor-in-chief, Daniel Harrell. We've also brought on a new chief creative officer who we'll be announcing here shortly. But it was just a, a pleasure to have those folks out here 
last week and for others involved in the stewardship and the leading of this ministry to spend a little time together dreaming about the future. Such a blessing when you get to work get work together with people you love and, and respect in the service of a cause you really believe in. So that's my precious moment this week. Morgan? Are you on Twitter and you want people to find you there? I am on Twitter. It's very easy to find me since my name is rather odd, but it is Tim Dalrymple underscore. Awesome. All right, Brooke? Uh, so my precious moments have been last night. We've been holding prayer services in the lead up to January 26 to bring the Australian church together for what we call Change the Heart, a call by Auntie Jean Phillips as the most senior Aboriginal Christian leader in Australia to come together in prayer and lament. Last night we had our Sydney service. Nearly 600 people came out across all different denominations and church backgrounds as well as non-Christians to learn about our true history. One of the songs that we sing, it's a very special song to Aboriginal peoples. Aboriginal Christians sing it all across Australia is the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, to hear 600 voices raised in St. Andrew's Anglican Cathedral. Looking at that song anew and understanding the true history of Australia was a very precious and emotional moment for me. That's really beautiful. It's an incredible song. All right. Where can people find more about you and the organization? Yeah. So would love people to look at website, www.commongrace.org.au. Common Grace on social media is at Common Grace AUS. For me personally, people can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Brooke Prentice Grasstree. So that's at B-R-O-O-K-E-P-R-E-N-T-I-S. G-R-A-S-S-T-R-E-E, and on Twitter at B Prentice, and that's B-P-R-E-N-T-I-S. Thank you. My precious moment, as I was telling Tim when I came in, is that I hosted brunch yesterday and the day before. Also, I guess I had dinner with my friends on Saturday and Sunday, and I'm just someone that really loves to share meals with other people enjoy hosting and bringing people together for good extended conversation, especially yesterday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day here, and we did not have to go into the office. And so I had the opportunity to spend time with seeing people that I hadn't seen in a while and just getting to know other people better. So that was really fantastic. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. That is it for us this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. But for those of you who do listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, thank you, everyone, who rates and reviews the show there. Quick to Listen is produced by myself and Matt Lindor. Boon Miyashola does our transcripts. Thank you to everyone who supports our ministry. You can do that by going to morect.com slash podcast, or you can become a subscriber by going to orderct.com slash podcasts. We will see you all next week.